What I'm going to talk about today is the 10 principles of money and how when one understands the 10 principles of money, that number one is that they have a system in place and what that system can do for them, what the responsibilities of each person is, and how it is actually a group effort. This is Richard Clint FM, the digital podcast dedicated to improving your life every single day. I have been told that there are three things you don't talk about on air. First is politics. And I don't want to get into that discussion with you. To have a discussion, you have to know what you're talking about. And in our political society today, I'm not sure we could have an intelligent conversation on politics. The second thing they say that you don't want to talk about is religion. And I don't want to go there either. Beliefs are such a personal issue and can unleash a whole bunch of emotions that make clarity hard to discover. The third is money. It's another tough subject because many don't want to talk about their financial situation, be it good or be it bad. But we're going to break the rule today because today we're going to talk about money, not just anyone's money, but your money. My guest today is going to share with you 10 principles that will help you have a clear path to becoming your own money manager. I believe one of the greatest points of stress in people's lives today is money. Over the past few years, people have found themselves having to make adjustments they never thought they would make, dealing with financial issues they never thought that they would have to deal with. So this is why I decided it was important If we would do a show designed to help you become your own money manager, to maybe even become your own bank, to be in control of your destiny through your money. So I reached out to a young man that I respect very much. His name is Terry Bass. And Terry is one of those rare people that can give you insights that just make sense. And because they make sense, they take the fear out of it. So, Terry, I am honored that you're here with us. Richard, I I just appreciate that, uh, allowing me to be here and talk today. Tell us a little bit about Terry Bass. Well, I was uh, born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri area. Um, And after I graduated high school, I immediately went into the United States Air Force. I did uh, four years in the United States Air Force and was stationed at uh, Omaha, Nebraska, off at Air Force Base. Every day I went to work at the Air Force, I was on an airplane. I flew around in what was called the Airborne Command Post, and it had a mission name called Looking Glass. And we were in an airplane for eight and a half hours every day when we flew. Uh, The mission flew from February 3, 1960 until July 1990, every day, 24 hours a day. After I was discharged from the Air Force, I got into the world of communications technologies. My degree uh, at formal education is an electronics engineer, and I have an MBA. I changed and went into wealth management and financial education. Uh, Personally, I have uh, three boys, Jackson, Colton, and Nathan, and I reside in the country. Uh, I live on a little bit of acreage, and I have uh, five horses and one cat. That's better than having five cats and one horse. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Terry, what made you change from where you were to the world of wealth management? Um... 
number one is, is just seeing all the issues out there with financial education and that folks are just not always having the best information given to them. Uh, just kind of a passion of mine that being able to just teach folks how to actually manage your money and how to control it, it changes their life once they get control of their money. Would you agree that people sometimes are either fearful or stressful about talking about their financial situation? Oh, definitely. I believe that, you know, especially in a marriage, um, there's a lot of tension in that area. A lot of folks just don't want to face what is. And why is that? Out of fear. Um, one is, is, is fear of what it may be, but two is just fear of the unknown because they don't necessarily know how to address it once they discover what the situation is. Do you find that when you're talking with people and you're first getting to know them, there's emotional walls you have to take down? There is. Uh, because money is, as you stated, it, it's not discussed a lot. So it is something that's closely held. And you do have to work with folks to actually bring it out so that way they're, they're able to talk about it and that they will, you know, actually take a look at it and see where they sit and being able to understand where they're at. Do you find that women are more open about talking about their money than men? Yes, they are. Women are more open about it, but at the same time, they're still somewhat reserved as well. They, women usually need a lot more information. Uh, when you work with them, they want to know all the details, in-depth details. And men, you know, usually want to know some details, but they just want to get the problem solved. They just want to be done and move on to the next day. So how do you take a couple like this and get them on a common agenda where you can talk to both of them? Number one is, is that you've just got to kind of work with them to let them understand where they're currently at. I mean, you've got to address each one's individual needs, but at the same time, you've got to address the needs of both of them and their family. Terry, do you find if, that they actually know where they are financially? Most of the time, no. One partner may know more than the other, but as far as both of them knowing, usually they have different views because most of the time men and women have different needs. And so their viewpoints, even though it may be the same numbers or the same situation, is their outlook on it is different. And I would surmise that this could cause some very stressful and emotional conversations within the partnership. It, it definitely does. Um, one of the things when I was preparing for this is I found an article uh, back in July of, of 2013 that was done by Kansas State University. And they found that no matter how much a person makes, fights about money are the biggest contributors to divorce. The study also revealed that it takes a couple longer to recover from a fight about finances than any other fight that they have. So it is a very emotional subject, even within the family itself. Well, I would sense, and I know from the counseling I've done, most couples, because they don't have open conversations about their finances, when they do have it, it's generally because there's a crisis going on. And the crisis has led to the need. We have to have this conversation. Right. And at that point, I mean, as you teach the concern, when it's a concern, when it's a problem, when it's a crisis, you know, it's now the emotions are involved. And when you, when you and I or anyone is living from their emotions up, it's very hard to be calm. It's very hard to be clear. Very challenging to listen. So tell us what you're going to talk about today. Well, what I'm going to talk about today um, is the 10 principles of money and how when one understands the 10 principles of money, 
that number one is, is that they have a system in place. And what that system you know, can do for them, um, what the responsibilities of each person is, and how it is actually a group effort within the family for understanding their finances and actually putting a plan in place. Terry, do you find it's more stressful for a couple to try to adjust downward than it is for them to adjust upward? It, it is. The reason being is, is that they're used to a certain lifestyle. They're used to a certain way of living. And that's hard to give up because we are creatures of habit. And when we're used to a certain way, we want that way to stay the same. And that a lot of times in itself, because of the changes in uh, the workforce, the changes in the world, changes in the financial markets, has an effect when you continue trying to live the same way without adjustments. And then that's what creates a stress in the environment. Yeah, and, it, you know, they don't want their neighbors to think that they're having financial problems. So many times I watch they try to maintain the same lifestyle, but to do that, they got to live and survive on their credit cards. And over a period of time, that catches up with you. Well, and that's, you know, there was actually, uh, not to try to just get too detailed in numbers, but Price Waterhouse put out an uh, employee financial wellness survey in 2013 and went through and said employees using credit cards to pay monthly expenses because they're unable to afford their lifestyle otherwise. And what you're going to find out is that it's not across any socioeconomic background. I mean, in the thirty dollars to $50,000 range, 16% use credit cards to just pay for normal monthly expenses. When you get into the fifty dollars to seventy-five range, it's 21%. But when you get into the $75,000 to $100,000 annual salary, it goes up to 30%. And wow. those that make over 100000 a year are using their credit cards for monthly expenses at a rate of 27%. Wow. So those that are actually making more, like you were saying, they're trying to keep up and maintain that current lifestyle, but they're doing so living on borrowed money. Yeah, because I think sometimes the more you make, the more important uh, status becomes. Correct. So what financial issues do you see as the biggest ones people are struggling with today? A lot of folks just have a lot of concern, and they just don't know how to address it. Coming back to that survey that was done, 49% of the people, and this is dealing with the baby boomers, the Gen Xs, and the Gen Ys, 49% feel that they do not have enough emergency savings for unexpected expenses. 45% believe they are unable to retire when they want to. And then the top three, the 22%, not being able to meet monthly expenses. You know, that's a tremendous so, amount of stress. Correct. Which is then going to affect the actual relationship within the family. Now, do you find that people are willing to reach out and try to receive guidance or because of what money says about a person, that it's easier for them to try to pretend and stay in a world they can no longer afford? I think a lot of folks have come to the realization that it's time to actually address the issue. So as time has come through and that it problem has been being experienced for a longer period of time, that stress has come into play and they're more willing today to actually open up and actually say, we need to do something about this. So if they come to you, what's the very first thing that you try to get them to realize? That there is a solution. They've been living in this world where it's been stressful, it's been hectic, and they've just been living day to day. Most I find out do not actually have a plan 
about how to get from point A to point B, how to get out of that environment. It's like they're walking around in a circle knowing they have an issue, but not knowing where to turn to. Correct. Let's say they turn to the bank. Is there help there? When you deal with the traditional bank, you've got to go before them and say, Mr. or Mrs. Banker, I need to borrow some money for an issue that I'm having. And then they go through and they review your credit. And after reviewing your credit, they're going to decide whether you're a good risk or not and assign the interest rate associated with your risk. So those that have had blemishes on their record, it affects their FICO score. And that's a score that's used to try to determine the credit worthiness of an individual. Once that's affected, the interest rate is going to go up because they're going to consider you a higher risk, which means your cost of that money is definitely going up which means you have less money for your normal day-to-day expenses because you're giving it back to the bank. So I'm, I'm digging a hole for myself. Yes, you are. I know sometimes you, you look on a credit card statement and it tells you if you pay it off in this amount of time, here's what you're going to save. But if you care at the length of this, here's what it's going to cost you. And when you start looking at what it's going to cost you, it's staggering. It is very staggering. When you actually say that most folks, they're struggling to make that minimum payment. And with the interest rates that's assigned to that loan, Many times, the total payoff is over twice the amount what the original loan was because you're paying so much back in interest over that length of period of time. So is this where someone like you can come in to help people? Yes, definitely. And how do you do that? First of all, you've got to understand where they currently are because to know where you need to go, you have to have a starting point. And from that starting point, that has to be well-defined. Secondly, is you have to understand what are the objectives that are trying to be achieved. I mean, what are the goals? And this is where getting to the common agenda between the husband and wife. And what are they trying to achieve? Whether it be paying off certain debts, preparing for college for their children, setting up the financial future for the, in their retirement. What are they working towards? And that gives you your starting point. Because once you have your starting point, then you can start addressing what needs to be done to get to where one wants to be and in the time frame they want to be there. And actually, it puts together realistic time frames. And sometimes that's not so good. No, because when you start doing that, now all of a sudden, you've got to really focus in on and look at your financial situation. You have to face what is. Do you find that that can become a very uncomfortable place? Yeah, especially if there's been uh, spending by one party that the other isn't fully aware of or have, they haven't addressed it yet. And it is putting it on the table. And when you've had these discussions, have you had people look at each other and go, well, I didn't know we owed that. I thought we'd paid that off. I thought we didn't owe that much. Yes, it's a recurring. It's a recurring event. Do you find that most couples actually have a budget that they live by? They have one that they try to live by. Um, Most are not as aggressive in that budget. There's still a lot of latitude of spending that occurs which then throws that budget off. One of the principles of money is that spending is emotional. And when people are in an emotional state, they need something to, might say, give them their fix. And when they get that satisfaction, it's because they went out and purchased something for themselves, whether it's going out for a very nice dinner or going and buying that piece of clothing or buying that little thing that just, oh, this is really neat, to fill that emotional need. If the financial situation keeps increasing in its emotion, then if they reach out for help, you have to get them to talk about all the emotions that they've harbored. 
about their financial situation. You do have to get them to talk about it, but you try to limit the emotional effects of it where possible because, as we know, that when the emotions are involved, the decisions that are going to be made, they're ones that are more likely going to have to be readdressed or remade again later down the road. But it's getting to the point of understanding that, okay, this is where you are. You know, it's, it's not how you got here. It's here you are and how you're going to get to where you want to be. And trying to refocus on what can be controlled versus that this is the past. You cannot control that anymore. You've gotten here, but how do you get out of here? And get them to refocus. Well, and that right there has got to be very challenging. It, because it, to it refocus, is. they've got to redesign. It's absolutely, yeah, their thought process has to completely change. Okay, so let's talk about these 10 principles. What would principle number one be? Principle number one is actually just what, what I spoke about. Spinning is emotional. They've had some need that needs to be fulfilled. And when they have that emotional need, that's when it blows the budget. That's when you go out and actually spend that money to fill that emotional need. Then that starts causing the issue because that's, you're already at the emotion. So the emotion now increases because you just, like you said earlier, you kept on digging your hole. So someone goes out and they see something they want and they don't, they don't even think about whether this fits into our budget or not. Because they want it, they just get it. Absolutely. Even though they've talked about it as a couple, we're not going to spend anything without talking about it first. Right. And what I don't see happening with couples is actually getting together on a regular basis to actually look at the budget, review the budget, and ensure that they are still on track because it goes two, three, four, five, six months, and all of a sudden it's, there's not enough money in the banking account. Where'd the money go? Now you're coming back to that emotional side again, and it's it creates that stress and that tension within the family. How often should they have this financial meeting? Once a month, minimum. And at that time, they go over everything that they've spent? They go over their income? That's it. And that comes back to principle, well, that comes to principle number two. When you track your money, you control your money. And one of the things that we work with folks on is that there's actually a spending planner put together. And it covers you know, what has been in the past and what's planned for the future. And the unique thing about it is that there's a part for the husband to complete and to manage, and a part for the spouse to complete and manage. They got their own areas of responsibility. It's broken down into areas. They get to choose which area each of them want. Can you give us an example? Sure. Example of that is auto gas repair, charitable contributions, laundry cleaning, clothing, debt payment, eating out, family activities, gifts, groceries, home maintenance, insurance, medical, dental, just savings, utilities, vacation trips. Some of the categories that, again, when we sit down with them, each are going to be assigned an area. That's their area of responsibility. When they come back to the end of the month and they talk about, okay, here's the numbers. Here's what it's been for the last 12 months. Here's what it's averaged. Here's what we're looking for it to be in case there's going to be changes within the next 12 months. Where are they at? It's done on a monthly basis because when you do it on a regular routine basis, there's no surprises. There may be a surprise one month because of something occurring, but then that's addressed up front, addressed real time, and doesn't get motions built up with it down the road two, three, four, five months later when there has to be a more emotional conversation that occurs. What I found in the counseling room, Terry, is that so many times when couples would come to me, and finances was always one of the top three things we always talked about, but and couples had tried to do this. These are your things that you watch. These are my things that I watch. 
And so many times when they get together, it comes back and one, you know, generally it's the male who will say, you know what, I didn't have time to do this this month. I'll get it done and we'll talk about it next month. But if you don't track it on a month-to-month basis, aren't you setting yourself up for more emotional collisions? Yeah, because it's showing that one party's committed to it and the other party's not. Which just increases the stress. Or I heard this so many times. You know what? She's better at handling money than I am. So I just let her take care of it because she knows more about what we spend here at the house than I do. And then all of a sudden he turns around and there's no money there. And he wants to know, what have you been wasting money on? Right. And now it comes to blame game. Mm-hmm. You're responsible for it. Why, why don't we have money? And that's a, again, this, both have a responsibility. And they take that seriously. And they've actually put a plan and a process in place and visit on that once a month. That stress level is going to come down because they know on a regular basis what's coming in and what's going out. Terry, do you find that most people don't have enough money or they have the money, they just don't know how to be disciplined and controlled with their spending? It's going to be a mixture of both. I mean, a lot of folks are still struggling, still recovering, uh, but it's going to be more of the latter. It's, It's going to be having that discipline in place and actually making choices to say, this is the priorities. This is breaking up the wants versus the needs and really being truthful with themselves and making choices. Again, we talked about previously is that they try to maintain that lifestyle so they continue using their credit cards to maintain that lifestyle. When they do that, they're not willing to make those choices. When they finally get to the point of saying, we need to make choices, we need to change, and they truly actually take action and make the decision to say, here's what are needs, here's what are wants, then that stress level is going to come down. Okay, what's our next principle? Principle number three is saving is actually delayed spending. The whole objective to saving is to have something later down the road, especially if you're talking about retirement, that's going to be there down the road to where you have that available for you to be able to spend later. Because unless somebody is, I'd say, very ultra-wealthy, they're going to need money down the road. At some point when they make the transition from actually earning a paycheck to actually living off of their retirement, that's what that savings is. It's delayed spending. So do you think reckless spending has caused a lot of people to not have money for retirement? Exactly. They've not set their priorities. They've not put a plan in action. And that is, for many, so far down the road that they're not looking at it as a long-term need to start now and actually plan for 20, 30 years, 40 years down the road. That's down the road. We're having too many issues now. We have to address these issues. But at the same time, you have to put something in place because there's going to be a need down the road that if you wait too long to get down that road, you're not going to be able to fulfill that need because there's not going to be enough in that savings account or that savings vehicle to actually have for later, which then is going to come back to adding the stress and the added emotion. You're talking about taking a couple from an attitude of spending to an attitude of savings. And if they've lived for many years of their life with the attitude of spin, 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 we'll pay for it later, rather than save so that we have the future, you're, you're talking about a tremendous amount of human behavior. Yes, there is a lot of human behavior, a lot of emotions involved, and it's, it is a constant to keep many folks committed to it. And again, usually in a relationship, there's going to be one party that's more committed to it than the other. And that's where... You have to have the system in place. You have to have the retouching to make sure that folks are still in with the plan and keep the reasons why they're in the plan 
so that way they can keep that in the forefront, make it a priority. What about our next principle? Principle number five, you've got to know the rules, the rules of money. And one of the things we have to understand is that for taxation, Congress and the president actually defines the box of rules. They decide, here's the rules that all the Americans are going to live by. Then the IRS comes around, and the IRS is the enforcement group of that. So it's definitely understanding the rules surrounding the money, then how to operate inside that box that's set up to your benefit. But then we move on to principle number six, which is the rules are always changing. Mm -hmm. Taxes and the laws are subject to change. That's when you know that you have to understand that what you plan for today can be affected by changes that may be put in place 20, 30 years down the road, which will affect your outcome. But let's just go to the, the 401k savings vehicle. That is the primary savings vehicles for most folks are the 401k. But folks need to understand is that the 401k is a pre-tax investment. And I use the word investment because it is invested in most of the time at risk, going out, putting it in mutual funds, putting it into bonds, and those are all securities. Those have risk associated with them. So they're taking risk with it, but they also have to understand is that that is not all your money because it's pre-tax money. The government still gets their portion. So the statement would be accurate to say the rules are always changing and that when you're subject to tax law, your outcome is unknown because they can change the rules just before you need your money. You don't know when they're going to change the rules, but that affects you down the road 20, 30 years. So that point of understanding has to be built in to your savings concept. That's correct. It, it has to be understood because most folks will look at their 401k, hey, I'm not doing too bad, you know, but then they have to understand that's not all their money. And they have to also understand that one of the things is that they don't always have access to that money. Some folks in some companies have the ability to, let's say, take a loan against that, against your 401k. Then you pay yourself back at an interest rate. But if you take a withdrawal from it, you're going to pay a 10% early penalty withdrawal if you're before the age of 59 and a half. One of the other things is, is that at age 70 and a half, you're required to take out what's called required minimum distributions. That means whether you need the money or not, the government is going to force you to take money out because they want their taxes. They want their money back. Now, that's where they have the biggest penalty out there that most folks don't know is that if you fail at the age of 70 and a half to take your money out, the penalty on that is 50% of what you were supposed to take out. Wow. But then you're also going to pay ordinary income taxes on that as well. So you could wind up losing 50, 55% of your money. Right. And let's say, let's use an example. Let's say if you were required to take out $10,000 a year and you failed to do so, you're going to be hit with a $5,000 penalty. But you're still going to pay taxes on the 10000 And if your tax rate is at 25% at that time, that means you're going to pay $2,500 in taxes. So out of that 10000 you have left $2,500. I'll bet there's very few people that know that. And again, that's got to be built into the plan. Whether you need the money, want to use it or not, you're required to take that money out starting at age 70 and a half, a year after you turn 70 and a half. All right, what's another principle? Principle number seven is you always have to look at the big picture. And that's where, again, understanding what your objectives are, what your plans are, what the vehicles are that you utilize for savings, 
and investing, and that has to be put together to say, am I able to be where I want to be, when I want to be there, with what I have put in place today? Well, Terry, because most people are not good personal money managers, is this where someone like you comes into the picture because you're not emotionally involved with them? Yeah, from an outside perspective. I mean, somebody that is, like you said, not emotionally involved, that can then put logic and reason around it to let them know and try to you know, keep abstract from it and showing them that here's what they say they want. Here's a path to get there. Yes, it's going to require some change. Yes, it's going to require effort. But there is a way to get there. Because I think a lot of people think they're planning for the future, but if they don't know all the rules and that the rules can change at any time, you've got to constantly be monitoring what you want for the future and what that future is going to cost you. That is correct. Yep, because it's, it's an ongoing, because it is ever-changing. And it's not waiting you know, 10 years, 20 years before you actually need those savings to put a plan into place. It's doing it all along. It's getting that discipline together and putting it in place and managing it because it's even going to become more critical at the point when you make that transition from a regular paycheck to using the savings. That's even going to become more critical so that habit is going to have to be in place prior to then or else that savings is going to be gone very quickly if, if the same behaviors are kept in place. Okay, what's another principle? Principle number eight is organizing your finances. And by organizing your finances enables the creation of additional wealth. And what I mean by that is that a lot of folks may have their finances organized by savings account, checking account, you know, what they have in the credit union or what their reserve funds are. But do they also organize, and most do not, about based on what's going to have capital gains associated with it? What is insurance? What is tax deferred? What is tax free? What is taxed? That's again looking and saying, how is this money going to be used later and what portion of it is mine and more importantly what portion of it is not mine and that's a big distinction the big distinction because big what distinction. i think i may have may not be what i have when i come down to wanting it correct yeah because again most folks when they look at their balance they're saying oh that's my balance no it's not it's not all your money you've got another partner in there with you and that's the u.s government uncle sam you have to give back their portion of it in the form of taxes. Okay, we've got a couple of minutes left, so what's number nine? Number nine is, is just what we've been talking about, understanding taxation. You know, when you understand taxation, you can actually retain more of your money because if something is taxed versus something that is non-taxed, your return on that is greater for the non-taxed. You know, it comes back to the point of understanding, are you paying taxes on the seed or are you paying taxes on the harvest? Well, you may not get the tax deduction today associated with a 401k, the amount of money that is going to be given away is much greater down the road versus the amount of money that you're going to have down the road by paying taxes on the seed versus paying taxes on the harvest. And number 10? Money in motion creates more money. Principle number 10 is, is the banking concept. When you go in and let's say you deposit $1,000 with the bank and they're required to keep 10% back. They loan out 90%. They're loaning out for auto loans. They're loaning out for mortgages, credit cards, for boats, college. Then what they're doing is just that as soon as that money comes back in, loaning it back out. So they're constantly in velocity of money. They're constantly keeping that money 
revolving. And that's where we're talking about at the beginning of this, about becoming your own bank. Putting a system in place to where you actually become your own bank because it's that interest rate that's actually going to cause the pain because the majority of the payment over time is going towards the interest. Worked with a couple the other day, and they had $179,000 worth of debt. But then we get to what's called the real debt report. The real debt report is they had almost $400,000 worth of debt because of all the interest payments that are associated with that. That's what folks don't take into account is the total payoff, the real debt versus what the principal amount is. Those two are different. Terry, thank you so very, very much for sharing this time with us. This has been pretty revealing for me because of the fact that I think the stress in people today, so much of it is created around their lack of financial management.